welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and a medical oncologist, and I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. And we have surpassed one year since the initiation of Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. I appreciate your support and being with me on this podcast through the thick and thin. And um, today I have the pleasure of hosting Dr. Samer Al-Hadidi, who is an assistant professor in the myeloma program at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock. I have not met Samer before, and really uh, I came across an amazing piece that he wrote at the ASCO Post on his experience with uh, him being diagnosed with Crohn's disease and subsequently dealing with the tragic loss of his dad when he was visiting Jordan, where he is originally from. I really wanted to bring him on the show, not just to share his experience, but really to learn from how difficult it is for immigrant physicians dealing with residency challenges and tasks and how difficult it is to take time off. And sometimes this could delay an important diagnosis that could have a significant uh, healthcare related issues. So I am, I've invited Dr. Samir Al-Hadidi to come on this show, not to talk myeloma, not to talk science, but to talk about the human experience that he encountered with his own illness during residency and fellowship and with the tragic loss of his dad, the unfortunate and the untimely loss. It's a bit emotional. Uh, I teared when I read his piece, and you will too. If you have not read it, you should. And um, and uh, Samer does get emotional during this episode. So I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, I know that you are going to learn a lot from Dr. Al-Hadidi during this episode. And before I air the episode I taped with Dr. Al-Hadidi on November 7th, 2021, I'd like to plug the show, ask you to uh, find it in all podcast outlets, but also to subscribe to it, rate it, write a brief review, and don't forget, if you are an avid listener, you will get a T-shirt from me. We've struggled actually sending T-shirts internationally. I haven't figured out the proper system. But for now, if you're in the U.S., make sure you text me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan, and I promise you, you will get the T-shirt of your choice. Without further ado, Dr. Samar Al-Hadidi on Healthcare Unfiltered. Well, folks, I'm really very excited to uh, host uh, Dr. Samir Al-Hadidi, who is going to introduce himself in a little bit on Healthcare Unfiltered. Um, I am uh, very much looking forward to meeting Samir in person very soon. We are taping this episode just for context. Uh, in early November, it probably, uh, we will see if it will air before the ASH 2021 meeting or after, but um for those of you who are listening, I just want to make sure that you know at least when we are taping this uh, episode. And I can see, goodness, so many diplomas and certificates behind Samir. Uh, so you're going to see that when we put that on my YouTube channel, Chadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. Samir, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. Um, I, I'm, I'm very happy to have you on. And uh, I think probably what triggered this is an essay that you wrote in the ASCO post that um, brought tears to my eyes, and we will talk about this in a little bit. But maybe first and foremost, uh, introduce yourself to listeners, um, you know, who you are, what you do, um, 
where you do it and um, whatever you'd like them to know about you. Thank you so much, Shadi. It's, it's a pleasure and honor to be with you on this uh, lovely podcast that I, I follow myself and I really get lots of, uh, you know, nice things out of it. Uh, I'm Samer Al-Hadidi. I'm, I'm recently an assistant professor at the Myeloma Center at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock, Arkansas. I mean, I just uh, graduated from fellowship from Baylor in Houston. Um, I used to work as an uh, also assistant professor in medicine for two years before I did my fellowship. So I have this transition from faculty to training and back to faculty now again. Um, I do myeloma. I do transplant uh, for my myeloma patients. Uh, so it's all about myeloma and plasma cell disorders. I, I you know, I, I also like healthcare disparities uh, and what work on it and try to hopefully get rid of it in the future. So this is one of my focus areas on top of, of plasma cell disorders. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be with you, Chadi, today. Thank you, Samir. So, so this is your first faculty job as in, uh, in hematology and oncology. Um, and that's where Bart Barlogi used to be, right? That's correct. Yeah. You know, He's retired. Have... Is he retired? He's retired or no? He he retired. Yeah, he he moved to New York and retired there. So yeah. And how big is the myeloma program now at Arkansas? Is it small or big? Well, it is. I think it's one of the big uh, big myeloma programs in the country. I mean, we still have the most, you know, the largest patient data set in the whole world, comprehensive data set, and we still see, you know, a great number of patients. So we are a total of five. A clinical faculty uh, that do only clinical uh, with research, and we have a separate research department uh, that is run also by uh, you know uh, researchers, basic researchers that we collaborate with and work with. So we have a strong basic uh, research and strong clinical um, also research with five with five uh, faculty that just do plasma cell disorders. So um, also you know our setting include. Uh, uh, myeloma hospitalists and myeloma nurse practitioners that are, uh, you know, important part of the team that help us in, in inpatient and outpatient and in infusion that runs seven days a, a week. So we, our infusion never closes uh, 30, uh, 165 days a year. So oh, wow. that's really good. Yeah. And you, you took a year off after residency to do internal medicine, and then you went back for fellowship. So you transitioned from trainee to attending to trainee to an attending. <laughs> That's correct. That's, you know, this is a weird transition. Let me call it this way, because, you know, right. you're done with the training. I was board certified in medicine. I, I did a master degree in clinical research. So I completed this. It was a two years program and I took a faculty job while I'm, I'm done with it. Um, and I did that back in Michigan. And then I moved to, to Houston to do my fellowship. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm, I've actually done several uh, episodes on uh, uh, myeloma and um, it, on the podcast, but we're not going to do myeloma today. We're not going to talk about myeloma. We're going to talk a little bit more of uh, less medicine and really more about the, you know, the personal aspect of practicing medicine and the challenges that um, that you went through. Um, so how long have you been in the US? What, you, you, you're originally from Jordan. That's correct, yeah. So I came here, I did three years of residency, two years of faculty, and another three years of uh, fellowship. So this is a total of uh, eight years. This is my ninth year in the US. Okay, so you came nine years ago to the US. Uh, and gosh, Samer, I'm pretty old. I don't want to tell you how long I've been here. Oh. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, what I want to start talking about, Samir, is um, uh, an unfortunate illness that you you uh, were diagnosed with while in training. Now, you did your residency uh, where? In Michigan. In Michigan. So take us through this. Um, how were you diagnosed? What were you diagnosed with? What what happened to lead to this diagnosis? And what year were you in? Uh, just take us through the process. I know some of this may be uncomfortable going back in memory lane, but but I, I you will see what I'm driving at. I just want to know, get context into when this happened. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that may be important. Some some you know trainees may have similar things that they went through. You know, when I I was in residency, it was the third year of residency when uh, things got bad to a degree that I needed to take care of. You know, I I knew there was something wrong for a while, and I think going back to my memory, it seems that I have those episodes uh, related to Crohn's disease back when I was uh, in my teenager years. I didn't think I realized that I have that at that time. You know, it was self-limiting and and nothing, no major complication happened at that time. So it went through fine. And up until I was in residency, uh, third year residency, it got so bad. And and the way it it Crohn's, especially in me, I mean, it it could have been in a different way, but I I have uh, some skin, uh, you know, disease, which is the erythema nodosum that happens with, with Crohn's. And that was up to a degree that in, uh, limited my ability to do my uh, rounds in a good way. So I, I, I was forced to take care of all fit. Um, and the reason why I, I think part of it, me ignoring to do uh, something about it was my worry that I'll get late into getting into my next step uh, in training and you know in fellowship and so on. Because when you come on a, on a visa, it's very difficult to take a break. And if you take a break, maybe things will not go the way you want to do it. So at that time, it took me some courage to go and, you know, uh, go to a primary care uh, who was one of my attendings and um, while in training. And I told him, you know what, I have Crohn's disease, but we need to diagnose this. And you need to refer me to somebody to do a, a colonoscopy. And and he did. I mean, he, he, and we I went to a GI who... You know, he did a colonoscopy for me um, and actually saw me after the colonoscopy, believe it or not. I think the way some of the GI physicians uh, practice is, is procedure-wise. So he, he saw me after the, uh, the fact that he did the colonoscopy and he told me what, you know, I, I think you have, uh, you know, maybe Crohn's, but maybe we need to rule out other stuff because you're coming from Jordan. And he was worried about, you know, all those endemic infectious diseases like TB or so on. Um, I mean, we worked this out, um, and then I um, I thought that I need to see somebody, you know, more experienced, and I went to the University of Michigan and saw a really nice physician there that took care of me while I was in Michigan, and um, I took this, I would say, disease under some control initially. How, like from the time you started having symptoms until you decided to seek medical advice or, or care, how long did it take you to decide, I'm going to go ask somebody what's going on? Well, I think it was a few months. And and the, I think that uh, the exact uh, number, I don't remember it, but it was uh, so bad as a, to the degree that I, I really have an advanced scan manifestation of Crohn's. Um, and I think that even made it difficult for the GI to believe that this is all Crohn's because, you know, I was ignorant to the fact that I need to go and do something about it. And part of it was I need not to delay what I'm going through because, yeah, you know, being in a visa is a special um, circumstance. I think 
um, anybody can relate to if if you're coming to the U.S. on a training visa because it, it's it's kind of difficult to take a break, um, even if it is for your medical uh, health condition. Um, I mean, you could have take it. Programs are, are good enough to give you some time off if you request a time off. And I don't think this is the biggest problem. The big problem is when you take a time off, um, you all the deadlines for that what's coming next will be, you know, will be it will be away, and and then uh, you have to 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 go off track and maybe lose some years, and you don't know if you could stay even in the U.S. if you do that, because if you're not on a job or in a training, your visa will not be uh, renewed. Uh, so I think that that has to do with it being me part of me and thinking that, you know, I need to keep going. So I need to get rid of this training um, and get done with the training so I could have, you know, take a break. But um, at some point, you know, with with my wife also being supportive to, for me to do this, um, I think uh, we made a decision that I need to take care of it. Um, I probably should have been doing that like earlier. Uh, to be honest, but um, it, it, it has many reasons that I, I thought pushed me not to do it. And at the time, so you were married at the time, and uh, did you have children at the time? Uh, we have, yeah, we have our, our oldest uh, girl uh, okay. at that time. I mean, my wife also was in pediatrics residency, um, and so that what made it hard because, you know, you have this, you know, you know, there's a daughter in between, goes to daycare, and there's two trainees um, in a house. And it, this is very difficult to take some time off. Um, and ultimately, I was able to do it. Um, and I think that my program was really supportive at that time. And I took uh, some time off. But uh, um, I, I thought I could have been doing it earlier and I should have been doing it earlier. But there's a sense of fear that immigrant physicians probably have more than others that if we really do this and take time off, it's going to affect, it's going to lead to a cascade of events. Yeah. And it could have changed all your path that you think about. And uh, like, I could have not even been doing uh, my oncology fellowship. Who knows? Because if let's say that you're, you're doing training and uh, something happened that delayed your graduation for two or three months. So technically you cannot apply for um, a, a fellowship. And moreover, even you cannot apply for a job on a visa because if you wanna apply for a job, you need to apply early on to get your job to secure your visa um, application and sponsorship. So it's, it's either way, it's not only going to a, another training, it's doing any kind of job or staying even in the US to, um, it's, it will be problematic if, if anything happens. And I think that's why probably, I mean, many friends of mine went through something similar and I decided to keep going because otherwise they may miss, you know, the train and get in trouble, not themselves only, also their families. Yeah. So then you were diagnosed with uh, Crohn's hammer. Was it, um, did you require hospitalization? Was it mainly outpatient therapy? Was it... Um... So initially, was it was mainly outpatient. I mean, I, I mean, I think I was crazy enough even to do my colonoscopy after I rounded on patients in the morning. I, I think it's it means it's it's I some uh, I would say um, something in me that make me work to the last limit, and um, at that time I was keeping all things as an outpatient, even like when I had this. I would say bad manifestation um, when I first was admitted, uh, uh, 
you know, diagnosed. But afterwards, um, because I started a biologic and the first biologic did not work with me. And at that time, when I was in fellowship, it just, you know, um, I got admitted because... So, but what happened between residency and fellowship? You were doing okay, like you had no issues with Crohn's? So initially, you know, when, uh, when I was in the first biologic, it took care of some of my, I would say, symptoms. And I never thought that everything should be under control, to be honest. I thought, you know, it, it takes the edge of it. Maybe, you know, my skin disease was much better. Uh, my GI symptoms got better, but I had some days where I had some problems, uh, but I kept going and it was fine. Um, early in fellowship, I started to have, you know, worsening of my symptoms, but up into uh, November of the first year at that time, uh, I got admitted actually for the first time with Crohn's uh, exacerbation. Uh, that was bad enough. Um, I stayed probably around a week in the hospital, um, uh, did some procedures, and after that, uh, all my medications was changed. And so far, things are good. What uh, when you were hospitalized uh, as a fellow was um, were you a little bit more comfortable? <clears throat> you know, missing some work and things like that. Were you just psychologically? Not there. Well, I, I was. And I think it's, I mean, I had, I, I, I really have a supportive fellowship program, but I, moreover, I, I think uh, I had my green card by that time because I, I got that switched when I did my um, first faculty job. And I felt, you know what, even if I got delayed in, in my training, I mean, nothing bad will happen because I could have stayed. I mean, I can stay my fa- with my family um, and I could have stayed legally with my family and with no problem. And I kept I can keep my my job going uh, with no problem. I mean, I didn't stay off for a while, for a long time. It was probably a week or two. And then I got back to work uh, slowly and then back to full speed. Uh, But at least I got a a few days off uh, while in the hospital and to recover after it. Um, And I think if I was, uh, I mean, on a visa, I still, I may think twice about it uh, because that could have affected me differently. Um, but I mean, I'm, I graduated that time and if things went uh, smoothly, then the fellowship program was really supportive um, as well as my training program before. But I think my situation was different in a way that, um, um, you know, I, I, I am in my green card now, which is it makes it easier in a way that I could have made decisions differently. You probably speak the language of a lot of immigrants who obviously are um, wanting to be in the United States, it's, it's, it's a land of opportunity and it allows a lot of people to uh, achieve uh, dreams that otherwise they can't really achieve locally where they are from. And it's amazing how much we are willing to sacrifice and compromise to achieve that dream, isn't it? That's right, that's totally right. And uh, you know, I, I feel it now with my wife because you know, believe it or not, I am on a green card, but she's still on a J1 waiver process that she's going through now and I feel the pain you know because any any decisions she need to make need to be you know um, uh, in the dimensions of what the visa allows and don't allow and you know I, I remember one of my friends um, back in the residency who um, unfortunately his, his, his father died while he was in residency he was not able to go to see back to home because his visa expired and if he goes back he had no guarantee that he will get another visa to come back to complete his training. Um, and, you know, he had this promise with his dad before he died that he, he's going there for a reason. And I think initially he had some problems getting his visa. So uh, he, he didn't go. I mean, it was hard 
it was hard on him. Um, uh, I he's, mean, not, I, he's not alone. I'm 100% sure there are many, many immigrants uh, that, that have that. Um, and you actually, you know, it took you a long time until you saw your own parents, right? I mean, how long were you away without seeing your parents? Well, it goes for a few years each time, and it, it depends how much risk you want to take it. You know, you go for a year or two, and you say you will not go to see them, and then at some point you say, "Okay, I'll take the risk. I'll go that. I'll go back to. I mean, I'm from Jordan, so I go back to Jordan. I'll get a visa appointment the next day when I go there, and hope for the best. Um, I mean, some people may get their visa under administration processing if that makes take them time. And, and you know, I remember this time when I went to the embassy and, you know, the lady there asked me, uh, well, where, you know, where, where do you, where, where do you live? I said, you know, uh, I live, I used to live in Michigan. So I live in Michigan. She said, oh, I mean, like here. I said, no, yesterday I was in Michigan. Today I'm here to just renew my visa because I'm here for a vacation and then I'll go back. So it's, it's real, you know, I think we do our schedules or vacation schedules to, to be, good enough to go for those embassy visits to renew the visa. And many of uh, my friends and people I know may not take this risk because, you know, there is risk to it, risk of delay, risk of... I didn't. I was in your shoes and I did not. I did not actually take that risk um, I uh, uh, for um, nine years. I did not go. Uh, but uh, I was fortunate that I was. my parents came twice during those nine years. That's it, really. But it's, um, you're right. I totally can relate to that. But um, then COVID-19 hit. And even if you wanted to go, you couldn't go. Right. I mean. Yeah. And, and up, up till now, you know, you know, you know uh, we are vaccinated now. Things are getting better overall. Um, but for now, like, for example, many embassies are closed. So if, if you're in a visa, you want to go back to see your family. You cannot even go because there is the embassy is closed, so you cannot renew your visa. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's a trouble that we deal with now. Um, for like up until this moment, uh, our embassy in Jordan is closed. So the U.S. embassy in Jordan. So if you're from there and you want to go back home, you cannot do that um, just because you know you cannot renew your visa. And uh, so that adds to the you know the old um, issues that we deal with 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 COVID and all the stress that is related. To COVID, I mean, all, also my own stress now. You having, you know, this immunosuppressive condition and being on immunosuppressant, and this COVID hit, and nobody know what's COVID, and everybody got scared, and I got scared, and I think, you know, even my program got scared, and and I think it's it just, you know, all of that was a stressful, stressful time. And and then and then you made a decision to go and visit your family. Uh, when was that? Recently, like in 2021, right? No, that was actually two years ago uh, when I went um, at first. So you know what? So that was before. That was before the COVID. Just, just before COVID, yeah. So at that time, you know, I mean, I got over my my exacerbation. Things got better uh, by the beginning of the year, and we thought, you know, we had this you know, time off, me and my wife. Uh, so we we got a vacation for for two weeks to go to Jordan, and at that time we have uh, two girls. Um, uh, with us, so we're all excited to go um, um, uh, to visit, and um, we really enjoyed the first few days there. You know, everything was okay, but then um, you know, my father got sick and unfortunately passed away when we went there, and that was unexpected. 
might happen. And um, I think uh, um, it, it made me change my way. I thought I looked at the things, um, but I was in a way thankful that I was able to see him before he died. Yeah, I'm really sorry. This is uh, this was tragic, and and um, and I, I you wrote about this um, uh, in the essay that uh, that really, really uh, caught my attention because uh, it was just um, I could just totally uh, feel how you wrote it, um, and I know probably asking some of these questions will bring a lot of emotional um, aspects. But I really think it's important because, um, and I'll tell you what I'm trying to get at, and, and you correct me from reading the essay, but um, it's always easy, I think, us as oncologists or hematologists, when we are, not easy, easier, when we are discussing end-of-life issues with people that are not our relatives, Right. Um, we're very empathetic. We obviously realize how, how devastating things are, but still it's not your father, it's not your mother, it's just different. So that, that they don't have that relationship. Um, but you faced something unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I could only imagine. Um, and um, I know that so your dad had a hemorrhagic stroke suddenly. You woke up in the morning, uh, according to the essay, and uh, your dad wasn't able to talk. And then you go to the hospital, and you're faced with some decisions into what to do next. As much as I hate bringing memories that are bad, but I, I really want to, I can't only imagine, how do you really deal with this? How do you make a decision suddenly just happened overnight, everything was fine for two days, overnight, and you have to decide, do nothing or do everything. What, what happened? Well, I think it's, it's, it's very hard. And it, it's, as you said, it, it's, it's something, it, it was like a dream. You know, you woke up in the morning, um, you find this medical scenario that you deal with with your own dad. And you got to know, I mean, I mean I, I'm an internist before I was an oncologist, and I got to know that there is, you know, there is a stroke there. And my father had some comorbidities. He had heart disease. It was under control for years. And he's in good health, you know, otherwise. Um, his blood pressure is controlled. He takes all the good medica medications that are out there. And he, and he follows with his cardiologist regularly. And I think he, he does his part. Um, so you get to see that this is, this is a stroke and you're in a vacation. And, and my mom... Uh, bless her heart, you know, you know, people not, are not into medicine. So she could not know probably what that means. Being sick is, is something and being so sick is another thing. And, and being sick to a degree that you will die in a few minutes is, is another thing. And I think that is one of the burdens that we physicians uh, deal with, is that you, you, you're ahead of the curve. Uh, you know more about a given condition than, you know, the regular people. And, and, and that, that's good and bad. And I think when it comes to you and your personal life, it's, it's kind of bad because you, you, you cannot hope. You, you don't know. You know, there is, there is, a, there is really a privilege of unknowing. Uh, and the privilege of unknowing is, is that you, you may have some hope uh, that something good will happen. So, you know, we had we really have good time at that time. And we went there and um, it, it just start 
uh, start as an episodes of things. Initially, I thought, you know, this is a stroke. And I, I felt so bad because I thought this stroke is, is bad to, to limit my, my dad's ability to, to do stuff. And, you know, he, he never retired. My dad was in the retirement age, but he didn't like to retire. He, he continued to work. You know, his workload was not as, uh, as high as before, but he used to go to work every day. And he takes only one week off, in a, uh, one day off in a week. That's what he used to do. And he goes to work early on. He does his things and he go back. Um, so for him being an, you know, um, active and being, uh, I would say, able to take care of himself, in other words, is, is really a priority. So I thought in my mind, driving him to, to the hospital that, oh, God, this is a stroke and he may not be able to, you know, to walk for a while and maybe he's not able to speak at a while. Uh, so that's why my, my my initial thinking, I was thinking, you know what, this is still something reversible, but he will deal with some consequences. So we went there and he, he was in the window. It was like less than three hours. And I thought, you know what, this is good. You know, he can get some uh, something to reverse this. You know, he's in the window to get this uh, thrombolytics. And we got him to get it. Um, we got also an interventional uh, neurologist who we were lucky to have him around in the hospital to, to do an intervention on top of the thrombolytics, which we learn in books that this is probably the best chance for, for people with ischemic stroke to deal with. And we did both of those and we, you know, things look very good, but complications happened after that. And um, he was not uh, awake uh, for a while, a few hours. And then um, we, we got him a repeat scan and that uh, his stroke turned to be more hemorrhagic. And uh, unfortunately, we're forced into a degree of decision that we need to, to, to decide as a family. And, and as a family, meaning me and my mom and my sister. So, you know, I tried first, you know, I'm, I'm an oncologist, so I believe miracles could happen and I, re I really pushed for it. So I tried, you know, I got him a neurosurgeon. We wanted to do some, you know, intervention for him initially, but things did not last long. And I think that the timeline was not in our favor. So and, um, it's got to be what it got to be. I thought and in, in, in best of his interest, if he's alive, he want to be functional. And I, I think, I mean, regardless of what we did, we decided just to to let it go for his sake and for our, uh, you know, for what he really wants. And I, I don't think we could have done something different, uh, but it just the whole process was so short, uh, you know, to come up with conclusion or even to think about it. And I think after the fact, we, we talk about it. And uh, I, I, I think it's, it's that we didn't have time to think about it. What made you decide to write about this? Well, you know, I, I, I used to write even before I went to, to medicine. I'm, I'm somebody who tried to, you know, I used to write in Arabic before and used to have my own column that I always write on every week. Um, then I went to medicine and I think oh, everything changed. But whenever something happened in my life, I just write. And um, I write and, and keep, keep it for a while. And sometimes, you know, I wrote that um, sometime after that happened. Um, not long time, but I kept it. Uh, with me for a while before I decided to send it somewhere to, to get it uh, published. And uh, I think uh, I did that at, just to to try to share with people that, you know, where, even like I'm, I'm as an oncologist, as you said, we make many decisions to, 
to change code statuses for patients to stop doing what we're doing. And, you know, we talk to families, we do all those family meetings, but we, we as ourselves have those difficult times when we go through this um, ourselves and and it, it's not never easier on us just because we do it and we know how to do it. But did something happen that trigger you to uh, submit this a couple of years after the event? I mean, uh, or just you, I am just curious because you, you said you wrote it a couple of years before, but then I, I just read it now. Did something happen or you just said, you know what, I'm going to see if others, I want to make sure I share the experience. Oh, actually, we're blessed to have our baby boy. Uh, it's now six, uh, I mean, almost six weeks. And I think oh, that... Congratulations. Yeah. You, you, hey, you don't look like you're uh, being up at night. I don't know. Hey. Oh, that's another thing. You know, you, you're chronically sleep deprived, so... <laughs> I know you're looking good. I know, I'm not saying yeah. this. We, we need to talk about that. But, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, he's, a, he's a good boy. He, he sleeps sometimes, not every day. But yeah. So was that the event that made you decide you want to share the experience? Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I was waiting to get to, I mean, it's not waiting per se by waiting, but I, I felt this is the thing that should have made me do it and send it at that time. Um. You know, uh, Samir, the, the, these experiences sometimes, I don't know, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but I, I mean, I'm like you, I'm an immigrant as well. And it just um, makes you wonder how difficult it is to live that far away from family, right? I mean, it's not like you really can really take an hour flight or like drive for two hours and you're right there. It's 24-hour endeavor if you can get on the next flight and if they have a seat and, and all of that stuff. Did you ever go back and look and, and you questioned your decision about being here? I did. I mean, I, I, many times I think about it and I think, you know what, you know, life is short. Uh, why should we take it the hard way? And I think you're totally right. Even if, if I decide to go to see my mom, for example, in Jordan now, it will take me, if I decide now and I go to the next flight, it will take me a few days to go there. And, and now with, with COVID, that may be even harder. Um, so it's it's a trouble. I mean, I'm I'm blessed enough that my mom was able to visit me last year, and and she and she went back, so I was able to see her. Uh, but you know, it's it's never the same because if if you have you know a vacation or you have some time off or a holiday off, you could have just go and see your family, or, you know, at some point if you decide to do that. But I think for us, it's it's not as straightforward as this. Um, there's many things that play a role on there. Like even for me now, if I want to go, let's say I want to go back to Jordan to visit my family, my wife is needs to renew her visa. So I have to put this in in my, um, you know, calculations and see if that is possible or not. You know, uh, or, so, you have, or you have to go on your own and she stays here. Yeah, and I, I did it. And I mean, last time when I went, I went for a week to see my mom. I went by myself and I left my family here just because there is no way around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. Did you you like question, like, did you think about, I'm going to pack my bags and I'm going to go back to Jordan. I'm going to find a job there. I mean, there's a great university there um, uh, and and, um, it's an American system, all of that. I mean, did you think about that? Did it cross your mind or... It, it did. I think, I mean, I mean, I still, you know, at some point think about it and, and I think about it in multiple ways. First of all, if I go there, could I find a job? And second thing, if I find a job, which I will probably find a job, is that job will make me uh, 
you know, able to self-support my my family um, and and be good to them. Or, and as I mean, I don't know if you know, but there is many problems back in, in Jordan and other countries in in the high rate of uh, unemployment, even in physicians. I mean, not trained physicians in a way that you're, you know, for example, oncologists, because there is a really need for oncologists. But in general, uh, there is a high rates of unemployment and, and people who are there are, do not seem to be very happy, friends and, and so on. I think, uh, you know, the system itself is, is not uh, the system here. There is many struggles that patients go through. You know, there is lack of insurance. People pay out of their pocket to be treated. So you're limited with what you offer. And God, for, for oncology, if you deal with this, it's very hard, you know, it's very hard to tell a family that, you know what, uh, your, your kid or, your, you know, you need such a treatment, but this treatment is expensive and you cannot, you know, there is no insurance to, available to cover any of this. So, yeah, I think there, there are issues related to self-satisfaction and even ability to do your job in a way that you really want to do it in a good way. I think you'll be limited to do that. I think um, you, alluded, you alluded, though, to the pandemic also that just happened and how this also does shape how you view things. So your mom was able to visit you um, despite the pandemic. But uh, after your experience with your dad and the pandemic, which isolated people from each other, I mean, you know, these thoughts cross the minds of immigrants all the time, you know? That's, that's totally right. Now, I think about it in a different way. I'm also limited with my wife, for example. She, she still needs to clear her visa before we can go home. Uh, otherwise, she will need to stay there for a while. Um, I mean, she's done with training. She's a full pediatrics infectious disease uh, attending now. And, uh, and I'm done with training. So I don't think this is a problem uh, for us because we're trained. Um, uh, you know, I hope the final training that we need to do. But uh, I think it, it's there is many things to play with. And, and COVID uh, probably complicated the, the whole story because um, uh, even if you decide to go back and now um, it, it's, not, uh, it's not as easy. Uh, jobs, uh, even in, in Jordan, there, there are no much jobs that are available for people to go to. And, and even if they're available, maybe not in the timeline that you need to, uh, to do them. So what's the feedback that you got on your piece, uh, Samer? Did you get feedback from people you didn't know? I mean, obviously, I mean, we're meeting because it struck me and, and I, I, I'm looking forward to um, a long, long life uh, friendship with you, but did you get feedback from others and people you had no idea existed? I got, and I, I got many, many emails actually, and even many replies through Twitter, uh, and even from my, you know, from friends um, that not are uh, not in oncology, but you know, they, they read it. Um, and I, I mean, most of them, uh, I mean, you know, it, it was an emotional piece and, and it brought some tears for, for many people. Uh, and also many shared that those are things that that they went through uh, themselves and which make me even like um, uh, kind of, you know, shocked in a way how how frequent this could have happened. Um, and, um, you know, there are people who shared with me that, you know, they were not lucky enough to even to to spend a day or two with, with their family when that happened. And they weren't, didn't have the chance even to do that. Um, so, I mean, in kind of, I mean, overall, I got, you know, I think, um, uh, many feedback that from you know from many many folks uh, most of them are in medicine uh, sharing that they went through something like this and and I think um, that brings you know the whole discussion we were talking about you know how how much you know difficulties many people go through especially immigrants and especially people who are you know restricted on on a way of how they deal with things 
Do you uh, do you think you you said you're a writer and you wrote in Arabic back in the day? I didn't know that you had a column. I would love to read some of your prior uh, re, uh, writings. Um, would love that. Uh, I'm in a you know I'm trying to be a writer, except I'm a, I'm a lousy one. But um, are you thinking of writing more along these lines? You know, I'm not talking myeloma research trials. Are you thinking about writing something a little bit more for the normal genre or regular people? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I mean, I, I sometimes like put some pieces together and just keep it on my computer for future. And I, I think, um, I think you know, dealing with patients, especially with cancer patients, is 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 really um, is really helpful in a way that it opens your eyes to many things. You know, difficulties that patients deal with. Um, God, you know how how some patients travel here just to get to, into a trial, or you know, or or just get into uh, into therapy. It just shocked me how much people do to get treated um, and how much support they get. So I think our job is keep this, you know, thinking of uh, open and, and ideas open. Um, and um, I, I mean, down the line, I think once I settle down more, even in my job, and, and, and I would probably think about putting something together. Um, which, you know, I, I was even thinking about it before, uh, especially that I used to do that for the 40 years, especially in medical school, because I got good amount of, uh, you know, columns there for years and that you could have put them all together and even translate them. But those, this, this is something all in mind. I, I didn't go further uh, and, you know, pursue it left. Well, you've got a, an avid reader for you if you ever take this to the next level. I think uh, everyone who is listening should read that piece and, and any future pieces you have. Um, Samir, obviously, we talked about your journey as an immigrant physician, as a resident who got sick, and all of the emotional uh, toll that you actually went through until you even were diagnosed and treated and your hospitalization and then the tragic, unfortunate, and untimely death of your dad. Anything else you want to share share with listeners, um, and what would you want to tell them um, about you, the the non scientist, the human being? Well, you know, I think, um, and this could be something you know, even patients may not be aware of. I mean, we all are humans, and humans have issues and struggles in their life, and yet you may not know about it. And so, I mean, I'm, I I think I, I even change now when I look at eyes of any person, any, any patient, any colleague, and any friend. Um, I keep in my mind the fact that I may not know what they are going through, and I should be nice to everybody. Um, and um, and I think that this is what it takes. I think humans need to be nicer to each other and uh, understand that that they. They're, they may be going through uh, struggles or difficulties. And it, it, it does take, you know, less effort to be good to people than being bad to people. And I think if you're good to people, people will be good to you and your life will be overall better. And I, I think our mission as, as physicians is, is to try to help people. And if we are honest with them and we're honest with ourselves um, and, and keep an eye open around them, I think this, this will be for all our sake. Well, despite how emotional this episode is, I, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you and, and getting to meet you. And um, I look forward to seeing you in person. Um, I believe we covered everything. And I just want to really thank you so much, Samer, for your time and for being with us. If there's last words are always to my guests. So you go with the last word. 
Well, thank you so much, Shadi, for, you know, reaching out to me and, and inviting me to your wonderful podcast. I mean, it's an honor for me to be there and, and share this story with all of you. And um, I thank you for all the efforts you do uh, on, you know, on your previous uh, podcast, which I, I personally listened to and learned from. And I think it's, you know, this is a space um, that is nice for people to share. And uh, you, you really did a wonderful job with, with asking me all those questions. So thank you. And I, I mean, uh, and I thank Thank everybody who's listening to us, and I'm sorry if, if that was emotional. And it just, um, I think, I think you're the last person that needs to apologize for this. I think many people have probably went into struggles, uh, and I, I feel uh, I, I think I'm a bitter person after um, you know I personally have a, a, an illness that I'm dealing with, and uh, and also I went through this. I, I can um, relate to to. What it means to patients, I think, in a better way. I will probably never be 100% good with that, but I think uh, I can do it in a better way now. Dr. Samir Al-Hadidi, thank you so much for coming on Healthcare Unfiltered. Thank you so much. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your support and tuning in. I appreciate you learning from Dr. Al-Hadidi about his experience. So many lessons learned from this podcast episode. Also, I'd like to know how well I'm doing or how bad, frankly, by you direct messaging me on Twitter at Chadi Nabhan or by emailing me through my website, www.chadinabhan.com. And, uh, you know, I always like to leave you with a saying. I'm going to leave you with something pertaining to hope. Oh, before I do that, you got to check my YouTube channel, Chadi Navan and Healthcare Unfiltered. You have to subscribe to it. You got to rate, like, you know, do all of the good stuff, you know, the social media stuff. You know how it goes. Let me leave you with this saying. Do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. Remember that what you now have was once among the things you only hoped for. Until next time, take care.